0: This podcast is supported by Red Energy. Powered by the mighty Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy, Red is 100% Australian-owned and local. Phone 131 806.
1: Oh, she's done it brilliantly executed. Incredible stuff! The whole family are watching on in anticipation, and yes, there's the final nail in the chicken coop. Dad's been promising to build for a decade, and don't the kids just love it? He's coming in for the final turn, he's gone to the left,
2: a little bit to the right, dodges the hills, hoist grass clippings flying in his wake. Precision mowing doesn't get any better than that.
1: They've really set their sights high for this one: a pizza oven, water feature, and a new. Deck all by the end of lockdown. But is it too much too soon? Only time will tell. He's a do-it-yourself legend in the making. Welcome to the sport of gardening. Here's your hosts, Dale Vine and Jane.
0: It is so great to have you joining us on a show that was started during COVID-19 earlier in the year. But hey, we are enjoying our gardening and our DIY experiments at home so much that we are just going to continue coming to you via podcast and of course right around Australia on SEN Track and on SEN on your Sunday morning. I'm Jane Neild and I'm joined by Dale Vine. Hey, Hello, Jane. Dale.
3: Yeah, I'm always good, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a real busy week, so I'm uh, keen to just uh, get off the tools and sit on my chair and talk gardening for a while.
0: And chat. What have you been doing? What sort of projects? I know last time we spoke you were sealing some paving.
3: Yes, yeah, I finally got that done, which is hard this time of year amongst uh, winter rain and uh precipitation as well in the morning. It takes forever things to dry out, even with a bit of sun, so... No, I'm happy to get that one done. Uh, This week I've been on a new one, so I've just got another heap of paving and some cool seating to construct as well, so pretty happy about that.
0: What are you constructing your seating out of?
3: Um, I'm actually going with something I haven't done too much of before. I'm I'm look out.
0: Experimenting. Sorry. (laughs) I'm experimenting with new materials for a client. Oh,
3: yes, but no. I I know the process. I just haven't done too many of them. So I've boxed up some seating and I'm trying to pour a, a concrete seat and then I'm going to put timber on top of that.
0: That's really cool. Yeah. Okay. I want to see some pictures on your yeah. Instagram when yeah. it all oh, up, we'll works put out. We'll up eventually. How are your bombers going, Dale?
3: Good. You know they're going good. I think everybody <laughs> knows they're going all right. They're uh, undefeated, Jane, which is, um, if you said that this time of year without knowing that there'd been a, a virus interrupting the season, you'd be pretty bloody happy. But um, I'm still happy if it's... um 3 and 0 I'm I'm happy.
0: Coming up on the show today, we are going to check in with Tim Entwistle from the Royal Botanic Gardens because Kevin Sheedy mentioned to us a couple yes. of weeks ago that the Royal Botanic Gardens in Melbourne was up there with the as one of his favorite places uh, in sure Melbourne. Yeah. And so I thought we need to check in with these guys. I mean, it is an incredibly beautiful site in the heart of Melbourne. Yep. What the hell did they do with suddenly the gates locked oh. and COVID-19 yeah. lockdown. So we're going to find out from Tim. We've got some more tool reviews coming up from you as well, Dale, and a very special guest in just a moment. I did bring you in a little gift today, Dale. You
3: have, Jane. Thank you very much for that. I actually I came in and saw that instantly and remembered that I'd uh, mentioned on one of your Instagram posts where you had a wall of rosemary there. Um, could you possibly spare any? So she's actually brought me in one uh, with roots and all, so I can plant that up rather than just use it on the roast. So yes. thank you so very
0: much. The story behind that is that when I first went to this little cottage that I own in Ballarat, my yep. house, yep. there was this massive, and I'm talking like four metre high bush of yeah, rosemary. I can get like trees. I've been giving it to people. But we're going to sort of talk about some of the things you can plant this weekend in your garden. But I'm saying rosemary... Cuttings. Oh, it's a
3: plant that keeps giving, oh, especially and that in one Ballarat.
0: Huge. So yeah. it's good hearty stock. It obviously survives the cold chilly winters in Ballarat. And I just have to keep trimming and trimming and trimming. So it's now basically a spaliate as an entire wow. wall of rosemary. So well, I'll treasure
3: and nurture it, Jane. You know that. <laughs>
0: hey, Dale, you've got a mate dropping into the show today. and It's kind of a surprise for me. Who have we got?
3: Yeah, I've got a bloke I actually went to school with, Jane, and uh, and then on obviously went on to play AFL footy and... And win a premiership or maybe even two actually and uh, I think a lot of Cats fans especially will remember the name Josh Hunt and uh, had one of the biggest kicks in the league I reckon most powerful left legs in the league so uh, he's a great bloke and I, know, I think he's up there in Brisbane now so yeah it'll be great to have him on
0: and that man is Josh Hunt and he joins us on the sport of gardening Josh are the rumours true is Dale talking you up just a little bit too much
2: uh possibly yeah but I'll uh I'll claim any type of uh of conference
3: <laughs> and, and anyone else so, yeah no I remember Jane, when we were in uh high school Josh just came to our school uh Catholic College back there in Bendigo and um he kicked a footy over the the roof and a whole building and uh and we were just amazed and it took us like a whole lesson to go and find that so yeah no, he's, and he's a great <laughs> bloke too so uh, it's good to have you on, Josh, and I haven't caught up with you in a long time, so it'll be great to have a little catch-up. No, I appreciate it, Viney. good fun.
0: So where do we find you, Josh? What part of the world are you living in at the moment?
2: Yeah, I've traded in the uh, the sort of polar bears and penguins of the, of Geelong <laughs> and then sort of moved up to the sunny Gold Coast up here and, and sort of working with with the Brisbane Lions and helping out their young fellas in the academy. So it's a bit of a sea change and sort of moved up here about, uh, what is it now, six years ago?
3: Yeah, I'd so say so. Uh, yeah,
2: it's nice. Nice and warm for the old bones up here, which helps me get out of bed in the morning.
0: And of course, uh, the boys have had a, a tough go of it. We know that a lot of clubs had people working, doing other jobs, labouring jobs. We've spoken to people who've had to swap the footy boots for the work boots during COVID nineteen lockdown. So, how are your crew faring? Was it hard for them to suddenly get their heads back into footy?
2: Yeah, I think for everybody with the you know the current climate, it's, there's a lot of lot of change that's going through, and you know it's great that our club up in Brisbane, sort of been able to get, uh, I think, nearly all of the, the coaches back now in, in some way, shape or form. So um, we, we've got a lot of teachers uh, within our Lions coaching group. So I know there was a, a couple of guys that, you know, chucked the suits back on and, and tucked the shirts in and went back and then sort of taught the, the young fellas. I know one of them went right out into the middle of Queensland to a remote community out there and, and kept the, the snakes out of the classrooms and, and sort of gave it back wow. a little bit out there. So, you know... Wow. It, there's, a, there's a fair bit of of change that went on, and but for the most part, everyone just rolled with the punches and, and sort of you know, did what they could do to keep themselves busy and, and keep their fingers crossed that we could all get back in and. And keep doing the things we love to do ASAP.
3: You did have a little more time than usual on your hands um, during the whole period where it was a bit more intense with the lockdown. So, what sort of stuff did you get up to? I I think you told me that quickly that you mentioned you you did get a landscaping crew in. They might have done a bit of work in your house, and you've gone and hooked yourself up with some tools as well.
2: I sort of found a bit of a silver lining, and you know, part of that was I just finished, or I just bought a, a new place up here on the Gold Coast that needed a little bit of TLC and. And some of that TLC was probably outside of, you know, my capacity or my knowledge so I had a Couple of mates come in and and just give it a bit of a, a remodel and a little reno inside. And I'm just finishing off the bathroom and the toilet now. And then hopefully the inside's mostly done. And and then obviously with the sunshine up here, it was a great time to get out and, and get rid of the cactus and the, and the stones and lay a bit of turf and, and got a little hole. My uncle came out and dropped a, a little pool in for me and filled it up with water just in time for winter oh, so uh, right. uh, yeah I'd, I'd be a fair bit of stuff had to go lane and turf and it'd be wouldn't look out of place on an old links golf course with oh. a few little undulations in there here and there mate so I, <laughs> I can't say that i'll be getting the putter out and doing any uh home putting greens or anything like that i reckon i might have to aim about two foot left and i'll go right and left and right again she's not too flat but it's green and it's Soft enough for the kids to run around on and for me to lay out on.
3: So that's the main thing. That's all you need, mate. And you just drop the mower down a couple of clicks, and that'll give you a nice little um, roll into a hole if you want to chuck one in.
2: Yeah, I might need to give you a, a buzz when we get off there, mate, just to give
1: you a few tips to
0: <laughs> And how do you enjoy the uh, the climate up there? And of course, the beautiful tropical gardens. I mean, I just love things like bromeliads and and things that just don't grow very easily down here. But up where you are now, you can pretty much stick anything in and it will grow, won't it? Yeah, <laughs> I do my best to try to kill
2: everything. I'm not I don't profess to be a real green thumb, but it's nice. Like I've got a couple of couple of nice bright sort of pinky ready hibiscus that are coming out now and
4: yeah
2: um so they're sort of starting to shoot out a little bit now i think i've got a white one out the front so yeah these i love tropical plants um i think all the colors and and sort of even some of the variegated stuff just to to give you a bit of bit of color and a bit of contrast is always nice it's a good step away from you know the roses that mum used to have and i used to have to chase me footy out of and <laughs> you know obviously got the thorns in me back in the day back home in Muldura and stuff like that but it's uh the climate up here is great it's um you know, obviously having two young kids as well, it, it's pretty easy just to, you know, even at this time time of year, it's still in the 20s and, and uh, yeah, you get a bit of rain every now and then, but, you know, more often than not, even if it's raining, you can still get outside, it's still warm enough and, and obviously, you know, it's an all-year-round kind of thing and you're 20 minutes from the hinterland and 20 minutes from the beach, so it's it's pretty easy and Right and, on, uh, mate. Plenty That's of stuff enough. to do with Jesus.
3: That. <laughs> all right, I'm going to, all right, I'm packing up, I'm moving up. <laughs> I'll tell you, I'm sitting here Beautiful. freezing cold with 12 layers on. I know why you've done it. That's that's for sure. Oh, we've
0: got listeners in the Atherton yeah, no. area through SEN and Track. So there's plenty of listeners uh, hearing us in tropical areas who will be going, yep, that's yeah, why we're here, Josh. Yeah. <laughs> hey, do the kids <laughs> like this. getting into the garden yeah. with you as well? Do you make an effort to sort of do some outside stuff with them and hopefully give them the love of getting their hands dirty?
2: Yeah, so my daughter loves getting out there and having a. She likes being outside. I'm not sure she likes to get her hands dirty. She likes to sit down and watch me and my son. She has a little picnic while we're put on the tools and stuff. He helped me, you know, jumped on the uh, on the rake and on the shovel, and even when to have a go with the snipper and the oh. the hedge trimmer. I thought that might be a a little bit a little bit too uh, adventurous for him, considering that he's he's pretty adventurous, and I don't know what he'd end up cutting down. But um, but yeah, I, I definitely love love getting out there, and um, you know, my son likes getting out there. We found a little tomato plant that's now. Um, you know, throwing out some tomatoes. So he runs out there every day and brings them inside and gives them a wash and eats them before anybody else gets a crack at them. So <laughs> it's nice. uh, it's just good to get them out there. They love it, um, albeit in different uh, situations. Where one likes to sit and watch, and the other one likes to get in and and do the the dirty work. So, um, but no, it's you know they enjoy it. I enjoy watching them run around out there and, and having fun and and being able to be outside for for ninety five percent of the. Of
3: the year, which is great. Yeah, no, you've sold it well up there, mate. I'm very jealous, I can tell you. But how cool are tomato plants for kids? Like they're like a, um, they just pop up everywhere. Once you start getting a few tomatoes on them, kids throw them around, and you know the seeds end up going back into the ground somewhere else, and then you end up with mystery tomato plants just popping up in different sections of your garden. It's so cool. The kids love it,
0: and it's something that they can taste and actually go, "Oh, yes."
3: Yeah, and I think
2: that's what happened because we got it in and we got a bobcat in and levelled it all and everything like that. So I thought that there was nothing left there and all of a sudden in the corner of the garden bed is his tomato plant yeah. that's uh, just starting to fruit which was, which was great. So, and I'll keep that there because he loves running up the back there and like you said, mate, it's just one of those things. As long as he puts them in his mouth and doesn't drop them all inside and I
3: stand on
0: them, that, that's that's <laughs> win for me. So. Or all through the lawn, else you'll just have tomatoes popping up in the lawn.
3: Thanks very much for that. I know you've got a lot of exciting youngsters up there at Brisbane, so you'll be uh, you'll be putting them in good stead, I'm sure. So enjoy, mate. Exciting times there. Thanks, Wayne. Take care, Mike.
0: That's Josh Hunt joining us from Brisbane on the Sport of Gardening where he is working with the Brisbane Lions Academy. Thanks, Dal. I love hearing from someone like Josh who's just got that passion for gardening and obviously showing his kids that it's a beautiful way to spend time as well.
3: Yeah, kids are a great motivator for um, getting something, you know, user-friendly out there in the backyard and Josh is all about his kids. So, um, yeah, I'm not surprised he's had a good crack at it up there.
0: And loving the tropical weather as yeah, well. Absolutely. In just a moment, we're going to do another Tool Review and still to come on the show, we are going to check in with Tim Entwistle from the Royal Botanic Gardens in Melbourne, one of Kevin Sheedy's favourite places yeah. in Melbourne next to the MCG. So we're going to find out how life has been there very soon.
1: You're listening to the Sport of Gardening for Cyclone Tools, built to last a lifetime. Trojan, tools built tough only at Bunnings Warehouse. And Red Energy, owned by Snowy Hydro, a renewable energy leader.
0: Journalism icons Caroline Wilson and Cory Perkin join forces in Don't Shoot the Messenger. Clearly this seems to be federally inspired, this story. It's somehow come through the federal branch, the ALP. It's not so much what was involved in the act, it's the act itself, isn't it? Illegal, treacherous, really inappropriate. Sport. food, life, news. The media boxes are very sad and sorry affair. there wasn't even milk in the fridge for a cup of tea. No. I know, everybody had to bring their own food. Who is the poor bugger who's sitting in the control? control? watching this game like a hawk, going, he's about to mark it, I'm going to press button A, which is, whoa! Don't shoot the Messenger podcast. Then we had the Eddie Betts racial slurring incident as well. It just seems that whenever we go two steps forward on the issue of racial tolerance and vilification with the AFL, there's always one step back. Don't shoot the Messenger podcast. Thanks to Red Energy. Powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Call 131-806 for Real Aussie Energy.
1: Welcome back to the Sport of Gardening for Cyclone Tools, built to last a lifetime. Trojan, tools built tough only at Bunnings Warehouse. And Red Energy, owned by Snowy Hydro, a renewable energy leader.
0: And thanks for joining us on the Sport of Gardening. And, hey, perhaps you are even out in the garden. As you listen to us. Dale, do you listen to podcasts and things while you work?
3: i just started, Jane. I told uh, you not long ago I hadn't listened to any podcasts. and but now, radio? Now we are a podcast as well. <laughs> I, I thought I'd better get into this. So I've, I've got a couple now that I follow, which is good.
0: Fantastic. And, of course, most tradies and, you know, every time I go past some sort of a building site, there's usually at least one extremely loud radio playing. Yeah,
3: so... the deaf bloke who uses all the power tools, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now we have wonderful supporters here at the sport of gardening in Cyclone Tools, built to last a lifetime. And, of course, Trojan Tools, built tough, available at Bunnings Warehouse. So I think it is time for another tool review.
1: Let's talk tools on the sport of gardening for Cyclone Tools, built to last a lifetime. And Trojan, tools built tough, only at Bunnings Warehouse.
0: Alrighty, Dale. What have you been putting to the test this week?
3: Yeah, so I've got the Trojan... Uh Set of three tin snips. They don't come in a set, but you might as well buy all three. Uh, and these things are great. You've got a small one, 200 mil one, then a 250 and then 300 mil one. So that's just different sizes for, uh, I suppose, different gauge or thickness sheet metal that you'd be cutting with them. So I've put a few roofs on uh, pergolas and um, a bit of flashing on a few things that I've built as well. So these things are just um, so good for those sort of cutting.
0: Okay, so is it only for metal? Like, I mean, obviously tin snips. No, you can you
3: can cut plastic as well with these things. Um, so obviously bigger ones will do a, a thicker, um, bigger gauge, uh, metal and plastic. And um, yeah, the thinner you get, the the smaller stuff that you'd cut. So um, they're very handy. They actually, they look like they're, um, you know, done by an old blacksmith forged in a, oh. a fire and then the a Trojan come along and put all their beautiful, um, nice grips on there that make it nice and comfortable to use. So, yeah, they're a really cool tool.
0: So they've got that sort of heavy feel of a really good, long-lasting yeah. tool.
3: Yeah, I was telling you in another week, I do like heavy-feeling tools because they feel like they're well-built and these are no exception. And, and the other cool little aspect about these ones is they've all got this little... um bit in the middle between the two handles, um, which spring loads them like a a pair of good secateurs would. So uh, instead of having to open them up uh, after each cut, they sort of just spring back to shape. So it's really cool. All
0: right. I wish I'd known that those were available when I did a little (laughs) job. So decided to put in a new backsplash or splashback uh, into my little kitchen in Ballarat. Splashback
3: here in Victoria, Jane. (laughs) Yeah, I
0: think it's American shows that call them backsplashes, isn't it? So number one, bought myself an angle grinder because I wanted to cut pressed tin. Yes. Because I went to the shop, got some tin snips mm-hmm. and I just couldn't do it. Like it didn't have any spring back. Yes. And I just found it completely like a m um, hopelessly wonky cuts. <laughs> didn't work for me. It's hard
3: to control on an, <laughs> an angle grinder, especially a smaller one to um get a nice straight line, but yeah, these could have bit saved you saved your kitchen there, Jane. I
0: reckon the spring back is the key to it though, because yep. if you want to efficiently cut something, I don't think the old tin snips actually had that function really no, did they? and,
3: and these are so, styled basically like um to be used like a a big pair of scissors, basically. So they'll do the same sort of thing, cut a nice straight line, and um, yeah, keep you going with all those nice little sheet metal jobs.
0: Aviation snips. How do they vary Aviation from snips, the tin snips? Yeah,
3: so these are um, another tool which is great for cutting similar things, I suppose. So um, sheet metal, um, roofing uh, metal as well. But the the difference with these ones are um, there's actually specific ones for um, different cutting styles. Yeah, you've got your aviation snips, uh, your straight ones. So they'll cut a nice straight line on sheet metal and roofing metal and things like that. Uh, then you've actually got um, ones specifically for cutting uh, to the right and to the left as well. So they're they're separate tools in themselves. So, as in
0: cutting a curve? Yeah,
3: so they're mm-hmm. shaped uh, to do that for you. Um, so you don't have to try and get a straight-shaped tool to cut around a corner. So you can imagine with a lot of... Um, roofs and sheeting metal and flashing and things. um, There's always a downpipe or something that sort of protrudes or a chimney flue or something that comes up that you've got to get a nice um, rounded cut on to make the the fit nice and um, tight. So, yeah, these are the things that are going to get you out of trouble with one of those pretty technical little cuts, really.
0: Okay very, very handy. Now, when it comes to the cyclone tools, this week you have been checking out the square mouth post hole shovel. Yes. Square mouth? What on
3: earth is that no, mean? It's just the shape of the uh, the head on there. So, um, yeah, this was a cool shovel, actually. Um, I use a lot of post hole shovels because um, I'm digging a lot of holes for posts. But um,
0: Dale's digging holes. <laughs> yeah, he's
3: doing it again. They're <laughs> filling with water this time of year, I can tell you. But, um, no, this shovel had a couple of interesting features that I I hadn't really seen on any other shovels um, and I thought they were really cool and shovels um, should all probably start evolving into this sort of thing as well. So uh, one of the features was it had um, a gauge on the actual handle of it. So they've obviously measured off the bottom of the shovel head. Um, So if, if, for instance, you're digging a hole, uh, you can place your shovel head uh, to the bottom of the hole and you can measure up off the handle of the shovel um, how deep your hole is. So it's got markers every, yeah, I think it was every 50 mil or 100 mil. So you can get pretty close to the depth that you require for a post um, without using the tape measure.
0: Because a lot of times you see, you know, on, say, a tree that you buy to plant, you know, I've just bought an apple tree, great, and it's like, oh, dig a hole that is X centimetres deep and (laughs) takes the guesswork out of it. Yeah, it it does.
3: And it's, um, yeah, it's cool. I hadn't actually seen that before, so I think they go, from a 550, which is about a standard sort of hole. Um, I suppose 400, you'd be able to measure off that anyway, all the way up to 750. So that's a pretty deep hole for most DIYs. So, yeah, it's a pretty cool feature and saves getting the end of your um, tape measure covered with mud and then when you start to you know retract it back into its shell it gets all Mm. clogged up so yeah it's a great little insight and then um on the on the top of the head of the shovel itself the part that you put your foot on to dig the hole uh it's actually got a little um bent over um tab on there so that's it gives you a little bit of extra grip to um get your shoe on and really give it a good push into the ground so you're um not hurting your foot um With a little spiky edge of a shovel.
0: Well, there you go. Sounds like a thumbs up review there from Dale. Thanks to Trojan. And of course, thanks to Cyclone Tools. They make premium garden products and have been the choice of garden landscapers for over 100 years. Cyclone Tools available at Bunnings Warehouse and leading hardware retailers. In just a moment, we are going to check in with Tim Entwistle from the Royal Botanic Gardens in Melbourne.
1: You're listening to The Sport of Gardening for cyclone tools built to last a lifetime. Trojan, tools built tough only at Bunnings Warehouse. And Red Energy, owned by Snowy Hydro, a renewable energy leader.
0: And welcome back to The Sport of Gardening. I'm Jane Neill I'm joined by Dale Vine via podcast or on SEN right around Australia on a Sunday morning. Now, we had a great chat to Kevin Sheedy a couple of weeks ago, didn't we, Dale? We
3: did, yes. A very avid rose grower, he was.
0: And he was very passionate about one of his favourite places in Melbourne, being the Royal Botanic Gardens. And I thought we would check in with the crew at the Botanic Gardens because one of my favourite places to go in Melbourne as well. I've had some incredible experiences there, which we'll uh, get to in a moment. So it's a pleasure to welcome Tim Entwistle to the show, the Chief Executive of the Royal Botanic Gardens and one of Australia's leading botanists. Hello, Tim. Thanks for joining us.
4: Hi, it's a pleasure. Hi, Dale. Hi, Jane. Hi, Tim. Good morning, mate. Yeah, look, it's it's it is a fantastic place. I'm so thrilled. Um, Kevin Cheedy said that because it's it's amazing the kind of people that you find know the Botanic Gardens. You know, people you don't think of who just love the garden.
3: Yeah, have you ever spotted Kevin there just strolling around, sniffing flowers and looking up at big old trees or?
4: Uh, look, I, I haven't actually, but I am going to look out because he, his name came up recently. We were, we're heading towards our 175th anniversary, which is next year. So we've been around for 175 years, and we're looking up and chasing up a few people who have stories around the gardens, You know, people who've visited, people who might have... Sometimes they're, they're keen gardeners, sometimes they're just people who might have had a, a great story to tell or might have been married in the garden, something like that. Yeah. And his name... Uh, up here, so you know, it's, it's amazing. Everyone, I, I'd be surprised if you know pretty much everyone in Melbourne hasn't at least had some some small connection with the gardens as a kid Definitely. or coming back later. Man,
0: just just keep your eyes on the rose gardens because Kevin probably would like a cutting or two. <laughs> He's a very keen rose grower.
4: <laughs> oh right, easy. Yes, well, we we do have to uh, advise people obviously just to, to to keep their keep their shears in their pockets. Yeah. And, uh, and just enjoy the flowers because, you know, with two two million visitors we have a year, if everyone took one flower that we might That's not have That's right. I'll
3: oh, forget about the shears, mate. You watch, watch out for Kev with a hessian bag. You might be taking an
4: old plan oh. <laughs> Now, No, Tim, we don't condone that.
0: <laughs> Tim, for people who may not have had the pleasure and we have listeners right around Australia, can you just sort of describe to us the gardens? How many acres, hectares are you sitting on and what sort of different zones do you have?
4: Yeah, look, it's worth pointing out, first of all, that in, in Melbourne we have two botanic gardens, one out at Cranbourne called the Cranbourne Gardens oh, and incredible. one in Melbourne, <laughs> in Melbourne Gardens. Yeah, look, and they're both amazing gardens. The the, the Cranbourne one's a, a native plant area, a like bushland, huge, about yep. 300 hectares, with a, a really beautiful modern design garden in one corner, about 15 hectares um, of the latest kind of in, interesting design of with Australian plants. Winning awards because it's very new and you know and things people haven't done before, then you come back into Melbourne to South Yarra and you have this 175 year old garden, very traditional in a sense, traditional botanic garden, but one of the I, I can say one of the most beautiful botanic gardens in the world. And I've I've worked, uh, I was director of Sydney Gardens, I worked at Kew Gardens in London, I've travelled a lot, and we were so so lucky in Melbourne because we have this, it's 38 hectares. It feels bigger than that because of the way it's designed and you, you look down into a lake in the middle through lots of these lovely sweeping lawns uh, with curved paths and curved garden beds and that design, which was all done by a guy called William Guilfoyle and Guilfoyle was the second director here and he created this, this whole landscape and he did such a fantastic job. It, it's, it really does stand out around the world.
0: Yeah, it's an incredible place and you feel like you could be anywhere. Like you really forget that you were a stone's throw from the city once you're actually in those gardens and you can just wander for hours. But, Tim, you said two million visitors a year. So tell us about what happened when COVID-19 hit. How quickly did you have to shut those gates? And then what did you guys do behind the scenes when the visitors were essentially locked out?
4: Look, initially we we didn't close up, so the, the museums and the galleries started to close and we kept the gardens open for a while. Because we it's a, it's a great place to go, of course, to get exercise. Mm. It's a place where people go to just take time out. And we thought, look, that's that's a good thing when people are... Are stressed and there 's all this concern about their health and obviously trying to stay safe then though we found people were coming into the gardens in increased numbers, so with museums galleries closed more were coming we felt there were still overseas visitors here at that time, and remember the the infection rate was going up dramatically, mm, yeah. so in the end we, we felt to support that message of staying home, we would close, and we closed up really because we were drawing people in. it was a bit of a pull factor, so we stayed closed seven weeks. Uh, we opened up again about three or four weeks ago, and it was first uh, an odd thing. The first time we've done that, so we've closed occasionally when there's been high winds or had a, you know, the storms for maybe half a day or a day. This is the longest period I'm aware of. We've been closed, and very eerie. I mean, we with no visitors in the place at all, all the seats sitting there empty, uh, quite a strange feel and staff initially thought oh this is this is you know it's quite nice in a way you can actually work you can spread out you can get things done but then everyone really started to miss the fact that why we were there in the first place of course is to show off the garden that's so right yep you'd have you know a tree come into beautiful autumn color and you had no one to, to show it to you so I started taking I was taking quite a few pictures putting them on Instagram and things just just really to sort of show the changes through that time because I I knew people were missing the place. So it was odd, but we managed to get lots of backlog of work done. We had to look after our conservation collections. We have orchids and other plants in there we we care for and put back into the bushland. So we were doing a bit of bushfire recovery as well. So a whole lot of stuff kept going in the background, but for visitors...
3: You know, both gardens were closed. Yeah, well, like cafes, mate, I suppose it's a great time to get in and get a few jobs done that maybe the seats that people's bums are usually on, you could get a a nice lacquer of of new oil on there or something just to keep them going for a few more
4: years. Well... That's right. Get, get Kevin Sheedy's office yeah. place, wherever that is. <laughs> get that it out and cleaned up. Yeah, exactly. Now,
0: I noticed that earlier in the year you actually were starting to do some bush food tours, and we've had a real focus, especially in the last few uh, weeks, with international political action on respecting and appreciating and celebrating our Indigenous Australians, but also, of course, this land that they cultivated for so many thousands of years. So is the bush food element to the garden something that's becoming much more popular
4: yeah it is it's growing in interest our what we've got a tour called our aboriginal heritage tour and that's always been our most popular tour with particularly with overseas visitors they come to melbourne they can experience the culture or at least you know one of the cultures of the aboriginal cultures across australia here in melbourne and and they can do it as you say kind of using food too so we have the bush food tour on itself but every tour. That goes through the gardens. That has a connection to that um, that, well, that long connection to the land here, brings in food and the use of plants. And that we find that's really really interesting way for people to experience culture because they we we often do it through through food you know generally, and you can actually go and touch the trees, smell the trees, you know pull a, a leaf off a tree that might be a lemon scented gum or something like that. Mm, yeah it really it's it's very memorable and it actually works really really strongly to make that connection
3: I love the lemon-scented gums. I'm always grabbing leaves off them when I when I can see one and um, rubbing them together in my hands and letting the kids smell. So, yeah, it's a cool thing. It's
0: a great way to learn, isn't it? I think, like you mentioned, that sort of tactile way of hearing a story, but when you've got that smell and that scent next to it as well, it really imprints in your mind. Yeah, and, and
4: it's, it's quite intimate as well because sometimes if you're going to a new country and you experience the culture, you might go to a, a – I don't know, a performance, or a, you sit back and you watch something. In this case, you actually go up to a tree, you hug the tree, you, you get a piece of you know, you the lemon and the gum in your, hand, in your hands. It's very tactile, and I think that's, that's really important. And we're so lucky having this garden close to the city so people can do that.
0: Now, Tim, I wanted to ask you about your field of expertise. Am I right in saying it's phycology or the study of algae?
4: You're yeah, quite right saying that, Yes, <laughs> Did well, I pronounce well, it brave. right? <laughs> 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 yeah, you did. You did.
0: Fantastic. Okay, so probably um, not something you do in your day-to-day work as uh, Chief Executive of the Royal Botanic Gardens, but I'm really fascinated by that because I follow people on Instagram who are farming everything from seaweed, but I hear things about... Algae and the technology that is being created using these little tiny what are they microorganisms or organisms? So why are you so yeah. obsessed with algae?
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, look, it's a, why I'm so obsessed is interesting. I mean, I got I got hooked on them at university, and in a way, I could have got could have been any anything, any group of plants or anything else. Um, but but I I went out and did some collecting in creeks when I was a student and, and found some new things, and that got me quite excited. So I realised there's Things growing in Australia no one had ever looked at before. So you put them under the microscope, they're actually quite beautiful. So you're right, they can be microscopic, so you don't really see them, like the, the plankton that we have in lakes and the sea, you don't really see it. Or they can be these these filaments. If you look at a weedy river, it's got sort of you know green filaments going through, a bit slimy. That, but under the microscope you know, you'll have to believe me on this. They actually look quite attractive. They're really nice under the microscope. And then it goes right up to the big seaweed, So the kelps and the stuff you see on the beach. They're also algae. They're you know, they're like all other plants. They've got various bits and pieces in them that are good for us. We can harvest them. We're learning how to do that more. And they, you know, it's just a, another source of, of food. And for me, of course, it was probably of interest, you know, as a young scientist, I just found it fascinating.
3: Algae yeah. is responsible for, um, uh, well, it turns shrimp pink and then um, flamingos eat that and then they turn pink. So if, if we start eating algae, <laughs> are
4: we all going to turn pink? <laughs> You might. Yeah, no, you're quite right. That's exactly what happens. Um, oh, Dale. Actually, we, we we won't because we don't eat the right quantities and we don't eat the right algae. Right. And we probably don't, you know, all that not, that not kind until of stuff.
3: Not until Mac has put them in their burgers
4: and then we've got algae
3: <laughs> so, burgers. Maybe yep. we'll
0: um, see some algae shakes on the menu at the Royal Botanic Gardens Cafe soon, Tim.
4: <laughs> we might. I don't, I don't find I can influence things here all that much in the cafe. I mean, I'm a big coffee drinker, so I love it. It has to be good coffee. So if you come to the gardens, you should demand good coffee. But I don't know if I'll be able to get algal
3: shakes <laughs> do you have a favorite really old tree or something in there in the gardens tim like um one you might call grandma or like give it a human name or something like that that you like to go and particularly visit you know every time you're in there
4: not big on naming trees so i haven't got one grandma's an interesting yeah oh, well, one. i don't know i just thought grandma. old i just thought old <laughs> <laughs> old and loved and yeah like old and loved exactly right that. mate yep but what's interesting, just on that too, um, given the kind of the connection um, indirectly with sport, Djokovic, when I mean, he's won the Australian Open, here. he yep. always comes to the gardens and he has a favourite tree here, which is a a fig tree, and okay. he comes to one of the the Morton Bay fig, yep. so he likes he likes
0: that. I must say, Tim, last year I took my uh, little one and my niece and nephew to one of your fire festival events at the gardens, which was at night with incredible fire installations right throughout the gardens, possibly one of the best wow. 10 things I've ever done in my life. It was stunning. So well done to you guys for doing so much innovation with how you actually entertain guests in the gardens. Oh, I'm really
4: pleased you said that because that, that, that particular event was just fantastic, fire gardens. Fire gardens, yes. 30, Yeah, 30,000 people came to gardens and it was, you know, kind of a courageous different thing for us to do, not only having fire in the gardens, which was brave enough probably in one sense, but (laughs) doing something in the evening, having so many people there because we, we are, you know, we realise we're part of the cultural life of Melbourne, so we're definitely having more of these
0: events. Oh, and the kids just will never forget that experience. The Botanic Gardens open for business now. Can people visit?
4: They can. They can come in from 7 a.m. any morning at Melbourne and from 9 a.m. out at Cranbourne and stay through to pretty much when it's dark, about five o'clock
0: fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us and enjoy the rest of the year. I know it's been strange to have less visitors, but I'm sure the gardens have had a nice little rest and are ready now to put on a beautiful show in spring. Thanks for your time, Tim.
4: My pleasure. We look forward to welcoming everyone. Thanks.
0: Tim Entwistle there, the Chief Executive of the Royal Botanic Gardens in Melbourne. If you want more details about the gardens, head to the website, all the W's, rbg.vic.gov.au and this is the Sport of Gardening. It's all thanks to Red Energy powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy, switched to Aussie-owned Red Energy today, and up in just a moment, we're going to think about what you can be planting in the garden this weekend. You're listening
1: to The Sport of Gardening for Cyclone Tools, built to last a lifetime. Trojan, tools built tough, only at Bunnings Warehouse. And Red Energy, owned by Snowy Hydro, a renewable energy leader.
0: So great to have your company on the Sport of Gardening, whether you are listening to us via podcast, possibly out uh, mowing the lawn or doing some gardening, or whether you're live with us on SEN Track and SEN on a Sunday morning. I'm Jane Neal. Dale Vine is with me. I am. And Dale, we have a listener question, of course. You can yes. actually send us an email, feedback at sportofgardening.com.au, or hit Dale up via his Instagram, at Viney D. Been doing much on the socials lately, Dale. It's a big responsibility. For an influencer like you, isn't it?
3: Oh, I haven't. No, I um, when I when I feel like there's something really interesting going on, I'll put a post up but, like the um, show. Yeah, exactly right. So uh,
0: no, but I should do more. You're right, Jane. Yeah. So hit him up on his Instagram, force him to uh, answer force your me, questions, yeah. <laughs> just as Jeff has done from Glenelg in South Australia. So here we go, Dale. Jeff's question is. Hi, Dale, I Would love some advice. I need to landscape my rental property. What can you recommend in terms of low maintenance gardens?
3: Yes, Jane. Well, this is a good one because I actually do have a whole section in my book um, regarding. Oh
0: well, Jeff. Why are you asking? Get rental properties. <laughs> <book. laughs> yeah, hurry
3: up, Jeff. Go out and buy one. But uh, now the key in there, Jeff, is um, you want low maintenance, basically. So you, you don't want to have to rely on your renters doing the work for you in the garden because some are very very happy to do that in their house. They take pride in even the places that they rent, which I always was as a renter. Uh, but others, you know, it's an extra job and it's and they feel like it's not their house so they probably don't have to do it. So
0: Well, and I guess a lot of people wouldn't necessarily have all the tools that you need to do gardening. Uh, and tools yeah.
3: and time these days. So, yeah, so low maintenance. You want to sort of try and um, plant-wise, I guess, native plants are the best there. So you can pretty much just stick them in and go. You know, they're going to grow with just rainwater and, um, you know, they're, they're from here so they know what to do condition-wise. Um, and you want to sort of try and alleviate any sorts of maintenance all around the property. So uh, perhaps synthetic turf instead of um, a real lawn, then you don't mm. have to mow it. Becoming um,
0: much more popular, isn't it? Yeah,
3: yeah, they're getting a lot better. So we obviously had um, a guest on earlier in one of the other podcasts and shows that we um, talked about synthetic mm. turf quite a bit and how it's evolved. Um and paved areas perhaps rather than decking areas um, for the entertainer there entertaining areas because um, you don't have to oil them. Um, once they're sealed, they're done. So yeah, just, just little ideas like that. So if you can think ahead as to what that area might need in the future maintenance wise and el- eliminate some of that, then you're going to have a pretty easy to run rental property.
0: Sounds like the natives are the first stop at the nursery there, Jeff. So great advice, Dale. Thank yeah, you. No worries. I got to say that I live in a rental house in Melbourne, um, which is a huge sort of garden. Well, not massive, but filled with the classic sort of Fifty stuff, the yep. magnolia and the camellias. And part of the reason we, I think, were successful against the other 70 people that were trying you to rent the house gardening. was because we said, look, we love the garden and we would love to maintain it for mm-hmm. you. Didn't realise that camellias can dump their body weight mm. in flowers no, on your sure driveway. Yeah. <laughs> do you realise that camellias can get so slippery yes. the car won't even get up the driveway? Yeah,
3: they can. They do drop. <laughs> they do drop a lot of their flowers um, all the time. So. They
0: do. So, look, the promise there to my land loves stands that we will do our best, but with the wisteria and the camellias, it is a lot of work. So I think you know anything a landlord can do to actually make it easier, Definitely. I think is a great idea. Now, Dale, I uh, got out one of my favourite books this week because so I just thought it would be great to recommend something that people could plant this yep. weekend, especially oh, my with book the
3: again. kids. Well done! Oh no, no, that's no, underneath it.
0: Yeah, this is Stephanie Alexander's Kitchen Garden Companion: Dig, Plant, Water, Grow, Harvest, Chop, Cook. Yeah. The reason I go to this massive, I think it's nearly a thousand page. Uh,
3: yeah, 20. it looks like a Bible. It's it I, is I love the cover on it. It's really cool. <laughs>
0: it's like with a cloth cover. Yeah. It's a classic, but it takes you from everything from the actual planting, yep. how to plant something, through to the cooking of it. Do you love garlic, Dale? I
3: love garlic. Yep, absolutely. Hate onion and love oh, really? garlic. Yeah, yep. I leave oh. onion out of most dishes. That, what have
0: you um, got against the onion oh, family? Just, I
3: just, it's not a taste <laughs> I enjoy too much, and, and the wife's the same. So he doesn't really? like it either and hates the smell. So okay, yeah, but. Garlic, we're all over. Okay,
0: interesting. Well, look, I would recommend planting garlic uh, this weekend because you can plant it pretty much in any area of the country. So if you are in a hot climate, June to July, so bang, straight on, Mm -hmm. temperate climate, April to July, and cooler climate, March to June. So I've had mine in for a little while and I've got stuff shooting that actually obviously I forgot to get out of the ground last year. But, um, you know, really easy to plant. What sort of soil do we need for the garlic? Uh, Dale.
3: Uh, well that's a good question Jane and the most important thing for growing garlic is to have a bit of compost in your soil generally yep. um, and a, a bit of manure and compost in there will allow the roots and the and the garlic bulbs to expand and grow without being compacted so if you're trying to grow it in a, a compacted hard sort of soil area it's just not going to grow um, to the the nice big full size that you want a big garlic clove
0: yeah but make sure you sort of give the manure a little bit of time to actually rest oh, yeah before don't just you're plant in. it
3: into a big <laughs> cow patty, no.
0: <laughs> and you can also Stephanie Alexander recommends that you use worm tea, which is of course the beautiful worm yeah. juice that comes from your worm farm uh, and then just let it go. It can also grow in part shade so I reckon it's a great option if you've got one of those spots in the gar- in the garden that you just sort of like quite put into there in the veggie garden. Yeah. Do your garlic. Well a- worth it.
3: Garlic does take a little while to harvest too. Before yeah,
0: I think it's a good six months, yeah. six to eight months.
3: Yeah, so get it in now and you'll be uh, loving it in six to eight months' time. And I also use a lot of uh, society garlic in um, in plantings and designs that I do as well. So you obviously don't eat that one, but it still smells of garlic when you rub the leaves together and it flowers profusely with these beautiful little purple flowers. I was going to
0: say, it's the purple one, isn't yeah, it? Yeah,
3: all, through, all throughout the year pretty much. So it's a great little plant.
0: Fantastic. Get your garlic in and I reckon even if you've got some extra clothes, of course, making sure you get it from a nursery. Don't just plant the stuff at the supermarket because mostly it's been treated, especially if it's uh, coming in from overseas.
3: Good tip. Hey Jane, I remember hearing a radio interview um, with an AFL star uh, from years ago, and someone asked him—I can't even remember who the player was—but somebody asked him if they had any tactics for, um, you know, keeping their opponents off them. And they talking about garlic. They said they used to pack as much garlic into their meal the night before, so when they were running around (laughs) sweating it up on the field, that they just reeked of it, and their opponents used to hate it.
0: I thought you were going to say packed it into their chocks.
3: Oh God, no, that's another well. That might be a current day thing you might be able to get away with. Yeah.
0: Um, that's a really interesting thing yeah. because anything that just gives you that slight, slight
3: edge. Yes, yeah. so obviously yeah. very competitive and uh, like... and loved the taste of garlic. So win-win. It's like,
0: oh, yeah. hi. Hi. Good luck today. <laughs> if anyone knows who that football player was, I would love to know. You can send us an email feedback at au. So, budding footy players, get your garlic in this weekend and then uh, start eating it yeah. for next season. No,
3: the (laughs) always love loading up on pasta, so it's not much of a stretch.
0: Garlic and pasta, that's all you need to put your opponent off. Hey, it's been a lot of fun having you on the Sport of Gardening this morning and we do it all thanks to Cyclone Tools. They make premium gardening products and have been the choice of garden landscapers for over 100 years and thanks to Trojan Tools, Tools Built Tough, available at Bunnings Warehouse and we do need to thank Red Energy as well. If you're uh, thinking about those winter bills and wondering Mm. whether or not you should be getting a better deal on your electricity and gas, talk to Red Energy. Tell them Dale and Jane from the Sport of Gardening sent you. They're, of course, owned by Snowy Hydro and a renewable energy leader. Big week of work ahead for you, Dale. Always, Jane. Yeah, flat knacker at the moment, which is good, keeps me busy. Excellent. Well, we will talk to you again next week and hopefully uh, the Bombers have another win this weekend. Yeah,
3: let's hope. I'll be watching, so that
1: should be good. You're listening to the sport of gardening for cyclone tools built to last a lifetime. Trojan, tools built tough only at Bunnings Warehouse. And Red Energy, owned by Snowy Hydro, a renewable energy leader.
0: This podcast is supported by Red Energy, powered by the mighty Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Red is 100% Australian-owned and local. Phone 131 806.